Coming up next, Tube Tunes in Color. The following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. From Television City in Hollywood. Once upon a time in the project. What time is that? Let me get this straight. You want me to steal? And here he is, the one, the only. Mystery Science Theater 3000 Show 424, real one. Oh, come on, son. All I need is a ride. What could possibly happen? Justin's video and his video ranger. Welcome to Tube Tunes. Many of us grew up watching afternoon reruns on television. As kids, we'd come home from school, plop our school books onto the floor, and run to the living room or den to switch on the Zenith or the Silvertone or the big Curtis Mathis, and we'd sit and watch our favorite reruns for hours. Now, as a child growing up in the late 1960s and early 1970s, the reruns I watched consisted primarily of former nighttime situation comedies of the mid-1960s, mostly with supernatural or fantastical plot lines. Strangely enough, my favorite reruns were of wacky comedies that originally aired in a surprisingly short window in television history, although I didn't know it at the time. In later years, as I learned more about the history of television, I discovered that a happy confluence of craziness occurred in late 1965, exactly 50 years ago this month, when 11 of my favorite series were running new episodes on primetime network television at the same time. And these 11 shows were some of the kookiest, most out-of-this-world comedies ever shown on American television, which is probably the main reason I liked them so much as a kid. It's also probably why they are still remembered and enjoyed today, 50 years later. And, of course, the theme music for these shows is no different. They're memorable, easily identifiable, and most everyone would be able to hum or sing along with them at a moment's notice. So join me now in taking a look at six of these 11 shows, We'll look at the genies, Martians, monsters, spies, castaways, and cavalrymen that have kept us laughing for the last half century. And I'll take you through the nutty shows themselves, their stars, their histories, and as always, their themes and theme composers. In this episode, I call A Wacky Week in 1965, Part 1. I've got a fully packed program of TV themes and TV trivia ahead, so let's get cracking. I am Mark, and this is Tube Tunes. I have in my hand the TV Guide for December 11th through the 17th, 1965. On the cover is a great color photo of the cast of F Troop, one of the 11 kooky sitcoms I'll be covering in this episode. But before we get to that show, let's look through the TV Guide and see what's playing on Saturday night, 50 years ago. It's Saturday, December 11th, 1965. It's 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and NBC is showing a new episode of their new sitcom, I Dream of Jeannie. 
In this episode, as my TV guide listed at the time, a Russian lady cosmonaut develops a strong interest in Tony, the day after Tony promises Jeannie that he won't go out with other girls. Sounds like Tony is in trouble, doesn't it? I Dream of Jeannie was a 30-minute situation comedy created and produced by author Sidney Sheldon that aired on NBC from September 18, 1965 until September 1, 1970. A total of 139 episodes were produced over the five seasons, with the first 30 episodes in black and white and the other 109 episodes in color. The show was a steady ratings winner, although it was never an out-and-out hit. It ranked in a tie for 27th place in its first season and in 26th place during its fourth season. The series revolved around Tony Nelson, an astronaut living in Cocoa Beach, Florida, who finds a 2,000-year-old bottle on a South Pacific island after crash landing there after an aborted space mission. Inside the bottle was a beautiful, sexy female genie who accompanies Nelson home to Cocoa Beach after being rescued. The genie, named Jeannie, J-E-A-N-N-I-E, falls in love with Tony, who insists on keeping their relationship platonic as well as hidden, especially given Jeannie's magical abilities and her uncanny knack at displaying that ability at the wrong time, such as in front of Dr. Bellows, the base psychiatrist. Eventually, during the show's last season, Tony and Jeannie get married. Barbara Eden portrayed Jeannie. Eden was born in 1931 and at age 84 is still with us today. She began her career in the mid-1950s, often playing blonde bombshells in both comedies and dramas. She got her first regular TV role in 1957, playing Loco Jones in the sitcom How to Marry a Millionaire for two seasons. After Jeannie ended, she appeared in quite a few made-for-TV movies, one of which, Harper Valley PTA, became a series in 1981 with Eden repeating her role as Stella. Tony Nelson was portrayed by Larry Hagman. He was the son of actress-singer Mary Martin. His long list of TV credits include several guest shots on dramatic anthologies during the 1950s before his starring role in this series. After Jeannie ended, he starred with Donna Mills in the short-lived 1971 sitcom The Good Life. In the beginning, God created the Earth. Then God created man and woman. <laughs> so far, so good. Two years later, in 1973, he starred in another short-running sitcom, Here We Go Again. But his biggest role was as the conniving J.R. Ewing in the long-running nighttime soap opera hit, Dallas, from 1978 to 91. After that show, he played a judge on a little-remembered drama, Orleans, in 1997, and he had a brief run as Burt Landau on Nip Tuck in 2006. He ended his career reprising his biggest role, J.R. Ewing, in the 2012 TNT reboot of Dallas. He died in 2012 at the age of 81. Also in the cast of I Dream of Jeannie was Bill Daly as Tony Nelson's best friend and colleague, Captain Roger Healy. Daly later co-starred as Howard Borden, Bob Hartley's friend and neighbor in the 1972-78 sitcom The Bob Newhart Show. Hayden Rourke played Dr. Alfred Bellows, the base psychiatrist. Emmeline Henry played his wife, Amanda. Movie character actor Barton McLean played General Martin Peterson. And a very young Farrah Fawcett played Roger Healy's girlfriend, Tina, during the show's fifth and final season. 
I Dream of Genie's Legacy includes a Saturday morning animated spinoff entitled Simply Genie that ran on CBS from 1973 to 75. There was also a 1985 made-for-TV reunion movie called I Dream of Genie 15 years later with former MASH star Wayne Rogers subbing for Hagman who was too busy with Dallas to appear. In this movie, Barbara Eden as Jeannie was finally able to reveal her navel, something she was never allowed to show during the show's initial run. And finally, a second made-for-TV reunion movie was produced in 1991 with Hagman's Dallas co-star Ken Kerchival portraying the master. I Dream of Jeannie had three theme tunes during its five-year run. The first opening theme was composed by Richard Wess and included famed narrator Paul Fries in voiceover explaining the story of how Captain Nelson and Jeannie first met. This theme was used at the beginning of episodes two through eight. Episode one, the pilot, had no theme music. Let's listen to it. Once upon a time, in a mythical place called Cape Kennedy, an astronaut named Tony Nelson went up on a space mission. The missile went up, but something went wrong, and they had to bring it down. Captain Nelson landed on an island in the South Pacific, where he found a bottle. At least it looked like a bottle, but it didn't act like a bottle. Because in it was a genie. Oh, not your average everyday genie, but a beautiful genie who could grant any wish. Captain Nelson was so grateful, he set Jeannie free. Only she didn't want to be free. You know how it is when you've been cooped up in a bottle for 2,000 years. She wanted to have fun. And she wanted to have it with Captain Nelson. So she followed him back to Cocoa Beach, a mythical town in a mythical state called Florida. And there in this house, the girl in the bottle plays Spin the Astronaut. Starting with episode 9 and on to the end of the first season, only the instrumental part of the theme was used. Here it is. When the show began production in color at the beginning of the second season and new animated titles were brought in, a new theme song was utilized. This tune is the one best remembered by fans of the show. The song was called Genie and was composed by Hugo Montenegro, with never-heard lyrics by award-winning lyricist Buddy Kay. Montenegro, born September 2, 1925, and died February 6, 1981, at the age of 55, was best known for his movie scores, for Viva Max in 1969, Charo with Elvis Presley also in 1969, and many others. Besides this series, he also arranged the theme song Seattle for the Western drama Here Come the Brides in 1968. 
and he composed the theme to The Outcasts, also in 1968. Now let's listen to Montenegro's familiar opening theme to the last four seasons of I Dream of Genie. Saturday night, December 11th, 1965, and it's now 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On NBC, I Dream of Genie has just ended, and Get Smart is just beginning. Here's TV Guide's description of tonight's episode of Get Smart. Smart accidentally handcuffs himself to an attaché case containing Control's $500,000 payroll and boards the famed Orient Express, on which four other agents have met their death. The Tonight Show's Johnny Carson is seen as the conductor. Woohoo! Get Smart is a fondly remembered spy spoof comedy created by legendary funny men Mel Brooks and Buck Henry. The show premiered on NBC on September 18, 1965. It ended its NBC run on September 13, 1969. It moved to CBS for its last season on September 26, 1969, and ended its run on September 11, 1970. 137 color episodes were made, along with the black-and-white 30-minute pilot episode. Get Smart ranked 12th in its first season and 22nd in its second season, but it never hit the top 30 thereafter. Get Smart revolved around a bumbling secret agent named Maxwell Smart, or Agent 86 as he was sometimes called. He worked for an undercover government intelligence agency called Control, along with his beautiful female partner, Agent 99, who eventually became his wife during the show's fourth season. Comedy derived from Maxwell's uncanny ability to bring in the bad guy, often inadvertently, despite his ineptitude. Most often, the bad guys work for a rival organization, a corporation bent on world domination called Chaos, K-A-O-S. Comedy was also mined through the use of countless ridiculous gadgets used by the agents in both Control and Chaos, many of which are still remembered today. Such items as the shoe phone, the cone of silence, and the phone booth elevator are direct spoofs of the gadgetry seen in the popular James Bond movies of the day, or more directly on the premiere spy show on TV at the time, The Man from U.N.C.L.E., which had premiered the year before. Maxwell Smart was portrayed with exacting comedic genius by veteran funny man Don Adams, a classmate of Larry Storch about whom we'll hear a little later, and a boyhood friend of Bill Dana, Adams made his first regular appearances on the Steve Allen Show where Dana was a writer. When Dana was awarded his own show, The Bill Dana Show, in 1963, 
Adams joined the cast as Byron Glick, the bumbling hotel dick. This role served as a model for Adams' future interpretation of the character of Maxwell Smart. The original choice to play Maxwell Smart was funny man Tom Poston, who would later become well-known as the dim-witted handyman George Utley on the 1992-98 sitcom Newhart. Poston was jettisoned from consideration when NBC picked up the pilot because Adams was already under contract with the network. After Get Smart, Adams went on to star in another sitcom, The Partners, in 1971 that lasted only one season. In 1975, he hosted the short-lived game show Don Adams Screen Test. Thereafter, most of Adams' TV work consisted of voice characterizations in cartoons, notably as Tennessee Tuxedo in Tennessee Tuxedo and His Tales, and as the title character in Inspector Gadget. Adams died in 2005 at the age of 82. The role of Agent 99 was played by Barbara Feldon. She was born March 12, 1933, and at age 82 is still alive today. She began her career as a model, but quickly moved into acting, garnering guest roles on several series during the early 1960s. Her role as Agent 99, no proper name was ever given, netted her two Emmy nominations for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series, one in 1968 and one in 1969. After Get Smart ended in 1970, she made guest-starring appearances on countless TV dramas and comedies throughout the 1970s and 80s. Maxwell Smart's and 99's boss at Control was Thaddeus, or The Chief, as he was called. The Chief was played by veteran character actor Ed Platt. Platt is best remembered for this role, despite appearing in movies and in television guest-starring roles for 25 years, beginning in 1949. He died in 1974 at the age of 58. Also in the cast, off and on, were Robert Carvelis as Larrabee, the chief's right-hand man. Carvelis was actually Don Adams' cousin. Bernie Coppell as Siegfried, the leader of chaos. Coppell later became better known as Dr. Adam Bricker on the long-running series The Love Boat. Rounding out the cast, Dave Ketchum as Agent 13 and Dick Godier as the robot agent Jaime. The show, though never a stellar hit during its original network run, became very popular in syndicated reruns, so much so that no less than four reincarnations of the series appeared on TV and movie screens later on. The first one, a theatrical movie in 1980 called The Nude Bomb, with most of the original cast, including Adams and Feldon, did not do well. In 1989, a made-for-TV movie was produced 
called Get Smart Again with Adams and Felden. In 1995, Fox Television brought the series back with Adams and Felden and an additional cast member, Andy Dick, as Maxwell Smart's son, Zach. That show was also called Get Smart and lasted only seven episodes. And in 2008, a theatrical movie, Get Smart, starring Steve Carell and Anne Hathaway, was a big hit, reminding current-day audiences of the kooky gadgets and popular Maxwell Smart catchphrases. Sorry about that, Chief. And... $300, Mr. Brown, would you believe it? That's pretty hard to believe. Would you believe a quart? (laughs) What if they came by once a day with a glass of water and an eyedropper? The very recognizable theme was composed by Irving Zathmary. Zathmary was born October 30, 1907, and died a day before his 76th birthday in 1983. He was the older brother of Bill Dana. In addition to penning the theme to The Bill Dana Show, Irving also composed the theme for another series, I'm Dickens, He's Fenster, in 1962. I'm Dickens, He's Fenster. Starring Marty Ingalls, John Eston, with Emmeline Henry. That show also starred a pre-Adams family, John Aston, who we'll hear about later. First, we'll hear the arrangement used in the NBC episodes from 1965 to 69. The second arrangement is a jazzier version of Zath Mary's theme used on the CBS episodes from 1969 to 1970. ones you are. I like you, but I don't like lions. You know, men with wild, dry manes, the kind with lots of uh, dandruff. And then there are the greasy bears, the ones who slick down their hair. 
But that only makes dandruff worse. I always give them the brush. Yeah, I like tigers. Men who use top brass hairdressing. Top brass fights dandruff because it's medicated. See, it says right here, top brass has medicated ingredients to fight dandruff. And top brass is non-greasy. So remember that, tiger. Get the medicated hairdressing, top brass, and tickle. It's Sunday night, December 12th, 1965. It's 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and CBS is running My Favorite Martian. Here's the TV Guide synopsis. Mrs. Brown becomes a crusading crime fighter after gulping down one of the Martian's pills. My Favorite Martian was an early supernatural sitcom, beginning on CBS on September 29, 1963. It ended on September 4, 1966. 107 episodes were made, 75 of them black and white, and 32 in color, all of them 30 minutes. This series ranked 10th its first season, and 24th in its second season, but it had fallen out of the top 30 by its third and final season. The show centered on the life of Tim O'Hara, a young reporter for the Los Angeles Sun newspaper. After witnessing a crash landing of a small spacecraft, Tim takes its sole occupant, dazed but apparently uninjured, back to his above-garage apartment. The occupant, a Martian, looked human and spoke English, but possessed special powers, such as levitating objects and making himself disappear. Comedy was derived from Tim's sometimes unsuccessful attempts to keep the Martian's true identity from becoming known to his landlord, Mrs. Brown, by having the Martian pose as his Uncle Martin long enough to allow a proper repair of his spacecraft, which was secretly stored in the garage below. Tim O'Hara was played by Bill Bixby in his first starring role. Bixby did several guest appearances on TV before this show, most notably in three episodes each of The Joey Bishop Show. Joey! 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 Son of a Young. The Joey Bishop Show, starring Joey Bishop. and make room for daddy. After My Favorite Martian, Bixby starred as Tom Corbett in the 1969-73 dramedy The Courtship of Eddie's Father. As Anthony Blake in the 1973-74 drama, The Magician. As Willie Abbott in the original 1976 miniseries Rich Man, Poor Man, but he's best remembered as Dr. David Banner in The Incredible Hulk from 1977 to 82. Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters his body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, startling metamorphosis occurs.
investigative reporter. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. He later hosted the documentary series Against the Odds from 1983 to 84, and he starred as Matt Cassidy in the sitcom Goodnight Beantown from 1983 to 84. Finally, he hosted another documentary series, True Confessions, in 1986. He died of prostate cancer in 1993 at the age of 59. Ray Walston was the consummate theatrical performer before he took on the role of Uncle Martin, or The Martian, in this show. He made his Broadway debut in 1945. By ten years later, he had won a Tony for his portrayal of Satan in the 1955 musical Damn Yankees, a role he repeated in the 1958 film musical of the same name. After that, he appeared in countless Broadway shows, some dramatic, some musical, as well as memorable appearances in many movies from South Pacific in 1958 to The Sting in 1973, to portraying Mr. Hand in the cult classic Fast Times at Ridgemont High in 1982, a role he repeated in the short-lived TV adaptation of the movie in 1986. Walston always hated the role of Uncle Martin as it typecast him in comic roles for several years afterwards. He redeemed his career somewhat in his portrayal of no-nonsense judge Henry Bone in the critically acclaimed ensemble drama Picket Fences from 1992 to 96, a role for which he was Emmy-nominated three times, winning twice. By 1999, he had felt comfortable enough with his career to appear as Armiton in the 1999 theatrical reboot, My Favorite Martian. Walston died in 2001 at the age of 86. Also in the cast were Barbara Britton, who played Mrs. Lorelai Brown, Tim's landlord in the house next door. Britton had earlier played Blondie in the 1957 sitcom Blondie, a role she repeated when Blondie was revived for the 1968-69 season. She died at age 51 in 1974. Also in the cast were veteran character actor Alan Hewitt, who played Mrs. Brown's boyfriend, Detective Bill Brennan. The theme tune used throughout My Favorite Martian's three-year run was composed by George Greeley. Greeley was born July 23, 1917, and died May 26, 2007 at the age of 89. Besides this series, he also composed music for the sitcom My Living Doll, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, Nanny and the Professor, and Small Wonder. Let's listen to the opening theme to My Favorite Martian. Tuesday, December 14, 1965, and at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, NBC showed a brand new episode of their brand new sitcom, My Mother the Car. Here's the TV Guide description of the episode, entitled, Hey Lady, Your Slip Isn't Showing. Dave's mother-in-law arrives for a visit, and it's soon apparent that there's one mother too many on the scene. Hmm, sounds like spark plugs will be flying. My Mother the Car was a sitcom that ran only one season. It debuted on NBC on September 14, 1965, and ended on September 6, 1966, after airing 30 half-hour color episodes. The show never landed in the top 30.
in what many consider one of the worst sitcoms of all time, or at least the one with the most preposterous premise. My Mother the Car related the story of David Crabtree, a small-town lawyer who, while browsing in a used car lot, finds a 1928 porter that is haunted by the ghost of his recently deceased mother, and who speaks to him, and only him, a la Mr. Ed, through the car's radio. He purchases the car to stay close to mother, despite the advice to the contrary of his family and friends. Comedy, of course, is derived from his attempts to keep anyone from finding out his secret, and by his desire to keep the car from falling into the hands of an evil antique car collector, Captain Manzini. Dave Crabtree was played with characteristic klutziness by Jerry Van Dyke, brother of comic actor Dick Van Dyke. Jerry, born July 27, 1931 and still alive today at age 84, is best known for his long stint as Luther Van Damme, the dim-witted but upbeat assistant coach in the long-running sitcom Coach from 1989-97. He is also remembered for his four-episode stint as Rob Petrie's sleepwalking, banjo-playing brother, Stacy, in the classic comedy The Dick Van Dyke Show. Also in the cast was Maggie Pierce as his loving wife, Barbara, Randy Whipple as his son, Randy, Avery Schreiber as mustachioed Captain Manzini, Schreiber later became more well-known as half of the comedy team of Burns and Schreiber with Jack Burns, and Anne Southern voiced the character of Mother in the car's radio. Southern was a famous film beauty with a movie career that started in 1927. She was best known for her TV sitcoms of the 1950s, Private Secretary in 1953, and The Anne Southern Show in 1958. In 1987, she was nominated for an Oscar for her supporting role in the movie The Whales of August. She died in 2001 at the age of 92. The theme to My Mother the Car was written and performed by Paul Hampton, who was born August 20, 1937, and is still alive today at age 78. Now let's listen to his wacky opening theme to My Mother the Car. Everybody knows in the second life we all come back sooner or later As anything from a pussy cat to a man-eating alligator Well, you all may think my story is more fiction than it's fact But believe it or not, my mother did Decided she'd come back as a car She's a very own guiding star A 1928 port Dear, she helps me through everything I do, and I'm so glad she's here. My mother, the car. My mother, the car. After these messages, we'll be right back. Good morning, world. Levi's, 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 Levi's,
It's Tuesday, December 14, 1965, and it's now 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. ABC is running a new episode of F Troop. Here's what TV Guide says about the episode, entitled The 86 Proof Spring. Parmenter is trying to track down the source of the Indian's firewater, unaware that the still is on the post. Portly character actors Parley Bayer and J. Pat O'Malley guest starred. What fun! F Troop was a Western comedy that premiered on ABC on September 14, 1965, and last appeared on August 31, 1967. 65 30-minute episodes were produced, 34 black and white for season 1 and 31 color episodes for season 2. The series did not rank in the top 30 either season. Episodes of F Troop followed the shady dealings of two greedy cavalrymen, Sergeant Morgan O'Rourke and Corporal Randolph Agarn, on their post Fort Courage in the post-Civil War West, as they use any get-rich-quick scheme they can think of to pad their pockets, while trying to keep their shenanigans from Captain Parmenter, their bumbling commanding officer. Comedy is mined from the interactions of O'Rourke and Agarn with the smarter Indians outside the fort and with the other residents inside. Ken Berry played Captain Wilton Parmenter, the accident-prone, inept, but good-hearted leader of F Troop, as Fort Courage was called. Berry was born November 3, 1933, and is still with us today, at age 82. A trained dancer, Barry got his TV start as an actor in a recurring role as Woody in The Ann Southern Show. In 1962, he played Lieutenant Melton in five episodes of Ensign O'Toole, a short-lived sitcom. From 1961 to 64, he tackled a dramatic role in playing Dr. John Capish on the medical drama Dr. Kildare. After F Troop ended in 1967, he became even better known for playing Sam Jones on Mayberry RFD from 68 to 71. Starring Ken Berry. Co-starring Francis Bavier as Aunt B and George Lindsay as Goober. Brought to you by... Mayberry RFD was the successor series to The Andy Griffith Show. Berry hosted his own variety hour in the summer of 1972, the Ken Berry Wow Show. Throughout the 1970s and 80s, he made guest appearances on countless series until another regular role turned up, that of Vinton Harper in the 1983-1990 sitcom Mama's Family. Forrest Tucker played Sergeant O'Rourke in the same vein as Phil Silver's Bilko in You'll Never Get Rich. After a long career in movies and in early dramatic anthologies on TV, this role was Tucker's first regular TV role. 
After F Troop ended, his only other regular TV parts were as Mr. Callahan on Dusty's Trail from 73 to 74. Let's follow the path of Dusty's Trail, oh Dusty's Trail, Dusty's Trail. A stage and a wagon are heading west, part of a wagon train lost from the rest. And as Jake Kong in the Saturday morning series, The Ghostbusters, in 1975. Boris Tucker died in 1986 at the age of 67. Larry Storch played O'Rourke's big-hearted lackey, Corporal Agarn. Storch's long career began in 1951 in movies and TV. He was born January 8, 1923, and is still alive and kicking today at almost 93 years of age. After F Troop, where he was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series in 1967, he made tons of guest spots on lots of shows for many years. He also provided voices for many cartoon characters on TV. Other cast members were Melody Patterson as Wrangler Jane, Frank DeCova as Chief Wild Eagle, and James Hampton as Hannibal Dobbs the Bugler. The first season of F Troop saw each episode begin with the theme composed by William Lava and lyrics by Irving Taylor that explain how Captain Parmiter got his command. You can hear more about Lava in the Cheyenne segment of Episode 1, Go West Old Man. Irving Taylor was born April 8, 1914, and died on December 3, 1983, at the age of 69. He was best known as a novelty song composer and lyricist in the same mold as Adams Family and Green Acres theme composer Vic Mizzy, who was a friend of Taylor's. Here's the first season opening theme. The end of the Civil War was near when quite accidentally... Who sneezed, abruptly seized retreat and reversed it to victory. His medal of honor pleased and thrilled his proud little family group. While getting it on, some blood was spilled, and so it was planned he'd command Neff Troop. Where Indian fights are colorful sights and nobody takes a lickin'. Where pale face and red skin both turn chicken. And fighting, get them down, they know their morale can't droop. As long as they all relax in town before they resume with a bang and a boom. Now here's the second season opening theme.
It's Thursday, December 16th, 1965, and at 7.30 p.m., CBS is airing a new episode of The Munsters. TV Guide described this episode thusly. After being disciplined by Herman, Spot, the family's fire-breathing pet, runs away and heads for the sewers. Hmm, dragons, what are you going to do? The second of the two monster family sitcoms to premiere in 1964 was The Munsters. The first was The Addams Family, debuting a week earlier. It began on CBS on September 24, 1964, and ended after two seasons on September 1, 1966. There were 70 black-and-white 30-minute episodes produced. The show tied for 18th place its first season, but did not rise high enough in the ratings its second season to make the top 30. This rather silly sitcom from Bob Mosher and Joe Connolly, two award-winning writers from the classic sitcom I Love Lucy... followed the daily life of the family of scary-looking but friendly monsters. Herman Munster, the dim-witted patriarch and breadwinner of the family, he works at Gateman, Goodbury, and Graves Funeral Parlor, and who strongly resembles the Frankenstein monster. His wife, Lily, who bears more than a passing resemblance to the Bride of Frankenstein. Grandpa Munster, the ghoulish mad scientist in a Dracula outfit, who spends most of his time in the dungeon with his bat, Igor. Eddie Munster, Herman and Lily's son, who is channeling his inner and outer wolfman, and their niece, Marilyn, the blonde bombshell who, because she actually doesn't resemble her family at all, is considered by them to be the unfortunate one of the group. Episodes relate their interactions with the rest of the world, unaware of their own ghoulish appearance and the effect it has on other people. The Munsters live in a large, ghostly house at 1313 Mockingbird Lane, where there is apparently always a lightning storm going on outside. Most of the comedy consists of one-liners, double entendres, and puns that made fun of the kooky family and the situations they found themselves in. Fred Gwynn played Herman Munster. Gwynn, at six foot five, was a natural to play Herman, especially given his prior stage experience. Before the Munsters, Gwynn was known as the erudite quiet patrolman officer Francis Muldoon in the 1961-63 sitcom Car 54, where are you? There's a holdup in the Bronx. Brooklyn's broken out in fights. There's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. There's a scout troop short a child. Cruise ships do and I go wild. Car 54, where are you? After the Munsters, Gwyn was best remembered as Judge Chamberlain Haller in the 1992 movie My Cousin Vinny as well as supporting roles in many other movies of the 1980s and 1990s, such as Fatal Attraction, The Secret of My Success, Iron Weed, Disorganized Crime, and Pet Cemetery. In 1981, he even reprised his role as Herman Munster in a TV movie, The Munster's Revenge. Gwen died at age 66 in 1993. Also in the cast of The Munsters was Al Lewis as Grandpa Munster, Lewis had a long career on TV, and especially after the Munsters had ended its original run. He appeared semi-regularly as Leo Schnauzer in the 1961-63 sitcom Car 54, Where Are You?, and in the 1994 movie remake of that show. He also played Grandpa Munster alongside most of the original Munsters cast in the 1966 theatrical release Munster Go Home, 
and he voiced Grandpa Munster in a 1973 episode of the ABC Saturday Superstar movie and in a 1991 episode of the short-lived sitcom Hi Honey, I'm Home. He also played Grandpa Dracula in The Munster's Revenge, a 1981 TV movie, and he made a cameo appearance in the 1995 TV movie Here Come the Munsters, as well as making an appearance as Grandpa on WTBS during the 1980s and 1990s, hosting that channel's horror movies, episodes of which were later released on VHS tape. Finally, he opened a restaurant in later years in Greenwich Village called Grandpa's. He died in 2006 at age 82. Yvonne DiCarlo, who played Lily, was a movie siren during the 1940s and 1950s. Before the Munsters, her biggest role in movies was as Sephora in the 1956 Cecil B. DeMille classic The Ten Commandments. After the Munsters, she made several guest appearances on drama and comedy series throughout the years. She continued acting in movies, most of them B-movies, but she did play Lily Munster in the 1981 TV movie The Munsters' Revenge, as well as making a cameo in the 1995 TV movie Here Come the Munsters. She died in 2007 at the age of 84. Butch Patrick played 11-year-old Eddie Munster. As a child actor, he worked in television with guest shots on The Real McCoys, I Dream of Jeannie, Mr. Ed, and many others. His only regular TV role after the Munsters was as Mark in the 1971-73 Sid and Marty Croft series Lidsville. And when he looked into the skies, he couldn't believe his ears or eyes. Lidsville is the cuckoo-cookiest, Lidsville is the kick-kick-kickiest, Lidsville is the groo-groo-grooviest, Lidsville is the living and friend. If you get a chance to go, go there, you'll be glad you did, cause everybody who goes to Lidsville really flips his lip. <laughs> How's that for a chopper? <laughs> he made a cameo appearance in the 1995 TV movie Here Come the Munsters, and at age 62, he is still with us today. Marilyn Munster, the normal member of the family, was played by two actresses. The first one was Beverly Owen, who was born in 1937 and is still alive today at age 78. Beverly Owen essayed the role of Marilyn during the first 13 episodes of the show. She left the show to move to New York and to get married, and she left acting at that point as well. Pat Priest was brought in to replace her. Priest was born August 15, 1936, and is still with us today at age 79. Her career consisted primarily of small guest spots on many shows from the 1960s and 1970s and a cameo in the 1995 TV movie Here Come the Munsters. Interestingly, Priest was daughter of Ivy Baker Priest, treasurer of the United States from 1953 to 61. Ivy Baker Priest was also California's treasurer under Governor Ronald Reagan from 66 to 74. By the way, Pat Priest and Beverly Owen have never met each other. The Munster's legacy includes not only the 1966 theatrical release Munster Go Home, but also three TV movie reboots, The Munster's Revenge in 1981, Here Come the Munsters in 1995, and The Munster's Scary Little Christmas in 1996. In addition, a revival series with John Shuck and Lee Merriweather ran in syndication from 87 to 91. It was called The Munster's Today. The now familiar theme tune to the Munsters, entitled At the Munsters, was composed by Jack Marshall, who released the tune as a 45 single in 1965. Marshall, born November 23, 1921, and passed away September 20, 1973, at only 51 years of age, was a guitarist, and most of his credits involved scoring episodes of many series throughout the 1960s, including every episode of Henry Fonda's Western series, The Deputy. <laughs>
first we'll hear the rarely heard pilot theme music composed by Jack Marshall. Starring Fred Wynn, Al Lewis, and Yvonne DiCarlo. Now we'll listen to the original opening and closing theme tunes used during the first season of The Monsters with music composed by Jack Marshall. Finally, we'll listen to Jack Marshall's revamped opening theme music used during the second season of The Munsters. Well, my intrepid listeners, that's all for episode two of Tube Tunes. It was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll keep listening to future shows. 
The next episode will be entitled A Wacky Week in 1965, Part 2, and will explore five more kooky sitcoms, their stars, their histories, and of course their themes and theme composers. If you liked this episode, you won't want to miss Part 2. I would like to thank Zerbinator for his guidance and encouragement as I continue on this project. His podcasting expertise is incredibly valuable to me, and I would urge all of my intrepid listeners to give any of his many podcasts a listen. They're a lot of fun. Just go to zerbinator.wordpress.com to find a list of his podcasts and to get started listening. Also, I can't forget to thank Zerbinator for composing the theme music that's heard at the beginning and end of Tube Tunes. It's a great theme, and you can find all of his other great music at zerbitron.bandcamp.com. Thanks, Burford. I would also like to thank my beautiful wife, Lizzie. She has put up with me and this strange podcasting theme with the patience of a saint, and I could never fully repay her, but I will try. That's not snap, snap, grin, grin, wink, wink, say no more. Thanks and credit should also be given to the Free Music Archive and the song and artist used in this episode under the Creative Commons license, Weeble by Poddington Bear. Episodes of Tube Tunes can be found on iTunes and on Stitcher or through the Tube Tunes blog page at tubetunespodcast.blogspot.com. Tube Tunes can also be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash tubetunes. You can follow Tube Tunes on Twitter at tubetunespod. And be sure to check out the Tube Tunes website at tubetunes.net. Finally, you can send Mark an email and let him know what you think about any episodes of Tube Tunes. Just write to him, mark at tubetunes.net. Thank you. Support for Tube Tunes is made possible by a grant from the Telesearch Group and by the generous support of listeners like you. Thank you. This is station WABC TV New York, Channel 7. Now speaking for the entire staff. On behalf of WNBC TV, CBS TV in New York. Good morning.